you are listening to Sheet Night Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. It was my birthday this week and I decided a couple of months ahead of time that as a present to myself, I was going to write something really, really indulgent. Uh, so I dug into my fanfic reader uh, background and decided to write a coffee shop AU short story uh, based on one of my fictional universes. I did a poll of my Patreon subscribers and the vote was really close. I came this close to doing a coffee shop AU of Musketeer Space, which I was actually quite already quite emotionally invested in. And then right at the last minute, uh, Teacup Magic eclipsed it. So the Musketeers slinging lattes has to be saved maybe for next year. Uh, And I got to write a story about my Teacup Magic cousins, uh, Neem, Betus and Henry, running a family coffee shop. It's a very short story. It's only available to my Patreon subscribers. If you pledge this month for a dollar, you can read it. And as it happens, if you stay pledged for the following month, you'll also get a very early copy of the next Teacup Magic novella, which is Spellcracker's Honeymoon, which I literally finished writing the last chapter of today. Uh, Today being the 24th of May. Yes, I am cutting it very fine. Thank you for asking. But it's finished, and that's the important thing. And now I just get to make a book. So there's your little insight into the Tansy writing process and your incentive this month to sign up to my Patreon. And now for Musketeer Space, one of my favourite chapters in this book that I am ridiculously fond of all the way through, we have Musketeer Space, Chapter 3, Shouting at Musketeers. Dana had hoped for so much of this meeting with Amaral Treville. Had she been an idiot to think that her skills would be instantly recognised, that Treville would be interested in meeting the daughter of an old colleague? Instead, Treville's attention was drawn to two pilots who entered the office with guilty expressions. Two, when she had called for three. These pilots in bright blue and white jackets over well-worn flight suits, they had what Dana wanted. They were musketeers. They didn't look especially happy about it, though. From their stance, it was not the first time these two had been called in to experience the rough end of Treville's managerial style. Ignored at the desk, Dana observed them both. One was tall and elegant with dark hair scraped up into a tight top knot, the second most common hairstyle for pilots after the buzz cut. She was casually beautiful, in that femme manner that Dana could never manage, all legs and cheekbones, and effortless grace. A pearl pin fastened her hair in place. It looked genuine vintage rather than something printed to fit in with retro fashions. An elaborate henna tattoo ran down her neck and collarbone, then emerged again at the wrist of her left hand, flowering in lacework all the way to her light brown fingertips. The shorter musketeer was round in all dimensions, including a bosom that must surely get in the way of her helm controls. 
She had a cheeky, pleasant face. Beneath her head shaved almost as closely as Treville's. She also wore a version of the musketeer uniform that Dana had never seen before. A long blue and white coat cut to flatter her size, in expensive cloth rather than the more common artificial blends. She wore the coat with a wide bedazzled belt that glittered with a small fortune in pearl studs. As if all that wasn't enough swish and vanity, this shorter musketeer had the blue and white fleur-de-lis mark of service painted in exquisite miniature upon each of her manicured fingernails. I can count, you know, said Admiral Treville, scanning the corridor once more. Where's your third partner in crime? Athos, oh, sick, said the elegant one, which would have been more convincing if the short one hadn't come in with still on patrol during her friend's hesitation. Treville loomed at them both, looking thunderous. Sick, she repeated. Are you sure you don't mean drunk? Dana had a momentary impulse to hide beneath the desk. Space pox, said the round one, with some authority. He can hardly walk. You know what Athos is like, Amaral. He catches everything going. So he sent you ahead, said Treville, her voice eerily calm to explain why three of the royal space fleet, the Regents' own musketeers, were arrested for duelling. That's a lie, said the elegant one, convincingly outraged. We weren't duelling, Amaral, just fighting. My body is a temple. Six of the cardinal's sabres were there too, put in the other. That's mitigating circumstances. They might have drawn weapons first. They did draw weapons first, hissed her elegant friend. That is exactly what I said, Aramis. I'm glad you agree. They drew weapons first, which is why we didn't deal with them. The round musketeer hesitated and then smiled in a friendly way, as if she hadn't at all lost track of their version of events. Clearly a misunderstanding, for which I'm sure the sabres are every bit as sorry as we are. Treville slowly breathed out her whole massive body trembling. I don't care about the Cardinal's sabres, Captain Porthos. I'm not responsible for their antics. As it happens, I know the sabres were there because they're the ones who arrested you. I've spent an hour this morning trying to convince the regents not to hand the entire royal fleet over to the Cardinal and take early retirement. Is that what you want for me? Gardening leave on the third daughter of peace? Anyone got a straw hat I can borrow? Dana drew her gaze away, not wanting to witness this humiliating scene. For this reason, she was the first to see the man hovering at the glass door. He wore a blue and white jacket over a flight suit like the others, but he could not possibly be a pilot. His hair was too... ridiculous. You thought that about the moth pilot at Mung Station, she reminded herself sternly, remembering the scarred pilot's rebellious sweep of black hair that had caused Dana to underestimate her. This musketeer, if such he was, had taken rebellious fashion to extremes. He had fair skin and gratuitous ginger-gold hair that fell straight to his shoulders, a safety hazard if ever Dana had seen one. 
He also had a beard and drooping moustache that was like nothing she'd ever seen before. Perhaps it was some kind of practical joke. The man was pale and sweaty beneath his gratuitous facial hair, looking distinctly unwell. If this was the missing Athos, perhaps he had the space pox after all. For a moment, he caught Dana's eye and grinned at the disapproval he saw on her face. Then he rapped hard on the plexiglass door, interrupting Treville in the middle of her tirade about how her best and brightest were turning her into a galactic laughingstock. And here he is, Treville drawled, with great sarcasm, as Athos let himself into the office. Finally ready to grace us with your presence, my lord. Enjoyed your cup of tea and cucumber sandwiches before you sauntered over to pay your respects, did you? You know I only live to serve you, boss, said Athos in a deep, respectful voice. As he spoke, Dana realised why Treville had mocked him with that word, my lord, which she had heard recently on Myung's station applied to an entirely different gentleman. Athos had the cut-glass accent of a new aristocrat, and the exaggerated manners of one too. What on earth was such a fashionable fool doing in the royal space fleet? You live to make trouble, Treville grumbled. Your fellow musketeers here assure me there was no duel consumed during your run-in with the sabres. Is that true? Not a drop, dear Amaral, Athos confirmed. We simply engaged in an old-fashioned brawl. You know the sort of thing. Fisticuffs. He mimicked a gentle boxing match as if to convince her of his innocence. It was very noble and historically authentic. Treville rolled her eyes. How quaint. Dana could not help noticing that Athos had a calming effect on Treville. There was something about his presence that apparently made street fighting and the Regents' displeasure a little more forgivable. I have led my friends astray, said Athos with a formal bow, and I take the entire blame for it. Oh, bollocks. His face drained of what little colour it had, and he lost his balance. Both Aramis and Porthos dove for him, but Treville was there first, helping the man to lie back on the floor, pale and shaking as he was. Athos, she demanded, unbuttoning his jacket, are you actually bleeding on my floor right now, you fucking liability? Bandage seals must have broken, he gasped, playing up the wound for all it was worth. Don't mind me. I'll just lie here for a moment, and I'll be fine. Why did you not get him to a medibay? Treville barked at Aramis and Porthos. Well, said Porthos, with an apologetic smile, to be fair, Amaral, we were on the way to fetch medical assistance when you were uh, called us in here. We thought we'd better hop back here to get him patched up, said Aramis, helpfully. She patted Athos on the head as if he were a beloved pet, and smiled a sweet, charming smile. There was a red stain, a small one, on Athos's chest. Dana stared at it from a distance, as Treville called for medics. They arrived in short order and began patching him up rather more effectively than he and his colleagues had managed. Only when Athos had been taken away on a stretcher 
de Treville, the last of her anger worn away, stare down his two partners in crime. Blades, then, she said in a heavy voice. You've been fighting with actual blades. You utter... But her words trailed away before she could locate a harsh enough noun. But not with duel, said Aramis gravely, for you have expressly forbidden. Get out of here, Treville growled. Keep an eye on that boy of yours. I want him back in the sky in three days. The two musketeers slid out, not bothering to hide how relieved they were to escape with their skins intact. Treville slammed the door behind them. As you can see, Dana, she said without ceremony, sitting back behind her desk, none of the useless pricks I currently have serving under me have gotten themselves killed lately. You might think it would be worth betting on Athos, but he has the luck of the devil and can even turn being stabbed into some kind of poetic statement. The musketeers are in the ship with the regents. Our funding is at an all-time low and there are no new ships on our horizon. I'm probably going to have to lay off a dozen gals this year. There's no position for a newcomer to step into, no matter her family history. Dana felt the ceiling slowly press down around her. This was it then. She was being dismissed. Would it have made a difference if I brought my own ship? She asked, hating herself for saying it, but she would always wonder if she had lost her chance because of that duel back on Mung Station and the sale of the buttercup. I'm afraid not, said Treville, handing back the application stud with a sympathetic pat of her hand over Dana's. They still let me print ships, thank God. It's all the other budget lines that have disappeared. I've nothing to offer you, kid. My pilots are even providing their own uniforms these days, which is how Porthos gets away with that gaudy belt of hers. If it makes you feel better... Very few applicants get into the fleet on their first application. Try again in a year or two if we're still here. In the meantime, you've got more than enough flight hours to put in for the pigeons or the ravens. They're always hiring, and it's good basic experience to flesh out your CV. Pigeon or raven, a grunt or a courier, neither of them were the job that Dana wanted. Thanks anyway, she said, trying to keep her chin up. Sorry, said Treville, meeting her gaze. We're not what you imagined, are we? No, said Dana, more sharply than politeness allowed. You're really not. Dana left Admiral Treville's office with two copies of a letter of introduction added to her application chip. One for the pigeons and one for the ravens. She had not yet decided which to try for. The thought of being a courier made her want to pack up and go home. She was here to be a musketeer like her mother before her, to defend the regents' peace and protect the innocent, not to ferry messages back and forth. As a pigeon, she'd at least be guarding the safety of royal space, even if she might spend half her time on her feet instead of in a flight deck. Palace duty did not pay so well as the airy life of the ravens, but it would keep her closer to here, to Paris and Luna Palais, where she might someday earn enough merit to be considered for the next empty helm of a musket-class dart. And sure, she wouldn't have a ship of her own, but she might get a mecca out of the deal. That could be fun. 
From what Treville had said, it would not have made a difference if Dana had arrived in her own antique yellow-sprayed dart, with a gleaming stainless stud at her cuff, and a photo silk full of nostalgia in her pocket, but oh, she was still seething about what had happened back at Myung Station. Everything had gone wrong from there. If Dana saw that thieving bitch from the moth again, she was going to... But there she was. Dana stood at the plexiglass doors that opened from Treville's observation deck. From here, she could see across Marie Antoinette Esplanade, one of the main shopping hubs of Paris Satellite. The immense plaza was busy with people, many of them the colour-coded uniforms of the fleet. Red, gold, blue, white, grey, black. Right there amongst so many short and shaven and tightly braided heads was a woman walking quickly, her long sweep of black hair streaming out behind a violet flight suit. Dana could still hear the voice of the pilot from the moth drawling in her ear, that snide, buttercup. The thief, who had taunted her into an illegal game and stolen her very identity. Blazing hatred flashed through Dana's body, and she flung herself at the nearest escalator, running several steps at a time to get to the foot of it, dodging shoppers and customers and her fellow pilots to reach her prey. Hey, stop, she yelled, but the pilot from Myung Station did not even glance up. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR or at Sheep Might Fly. Find me on Facebook at TansyRR Books. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of cool rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week. Oh, 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 oh,